Hello, everybody, and welcome to the China Tech Investor Podcast, powered by TechNotes, seeking truth and facts when it comes to Chinese tech stocks and IPOs. My name is Elliot Zagman, and joining me from the island of Maui in sunny Hawaii, where he is very, very confused as to the comings and goings of the locals, as aloha means both hello and goodbye. It's James Hull. Aloha, James. You are right. Aloha, as in hello. <laughs> okay. So nothing said on this podcast should be construed as investment advice or a solicitation of services. Even our numbers may be incorrect or off. Investing is risky. Speak with your financial advisor and do your own research before making investment decisions. How's your uh, your Chinese New Year? It was nice. It's good. With the fam and then a little beach holiday which I think, as our, everyone knows now, is still a little is still ongoing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it ends soon, unfortunately. Um, how was your Chinese New Year? It was pretty ho-hum, just like a slow work week. Um, and, but, you know, I had some Chinese food, met with some Chinese friends in Bangkok, but that's about, about it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, every year, you know, because, um, you know, I was in China for so long, every year, I'd be going on these, uh, you know, big two week vacations, but this week or this year, uh, none of that. So, but it's fine because I know it's it's warm here and I can hang out by the pool and you know every day is like a vacation down here. So, uh, I got nothing to complain about. Uh, anyways, yep. did you um, did you watch any of the spring gala um, shows? Oh God no. <laughs> well, we did. <laughs> I, I, you shared with me. That one, um, that one clip of that sketch that about the the blacklist, right? Right. right. Yeah. So it's gone from uh, you know last year they had the black the 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 um, blackface the inappropriate <laughs> blackface sketch, and now they've gone from blackface to blacklist. Um, but yeah, what? So it was a basically it was you know a sketch about these people who who couldn't travel because they had not paid their debts. Yeah, so that that one was on BTV as opposed to CCTV, um, and supposedly I think from what I've heard, the CCTV ones were not that great this year, and the BTV was was better. Uh, so this skit, I mean, it's one of I, what's his name? Like Feng, I'm going to say it wrong. Feng Gong, I think, is his name. Uh, he's a comedian actor, really funny guy. He was the skit starts off where he's like saying. Having no money is really great, uh, and he says it's schwang, and then you know, in, in one word it's schwang, in two words it's bur schwang, and then in three words it's very schwang, <laughs> <laughs> and so then it then the, it jumps to this part where these guys are running over and they're like, oh, I need to give you this money back, I need to give you this money back because I can't get on uh, on the train, and then another guy comes over, I need to give you this money back because I can't get on. Uh, a plane. I can't take take a flight. Uh, and then another guy comes and he says, "I can't check into a hotel. I need to give you this money back." And so he's after just talking about uh, <laughs> how great it was to not have money. He's like, "Well, no, I don't want this. I don't, you know, I don't want this money. Don't give this to me." And he's like, and they're like begging him to give it back. And then he's like, "Okay, fine." And then he tells him to leave, and he takes takes the Hong Bao, which. You know, that's it was kind of you know that's what everyone does in Chinese New Year, 
And then after they leave, he's like, actually having money, you know, getting money back is, you know, one word, schwang, which I think means like kind of awesome. Mm. And then two words, per schwang, and three words, very schwang. <laughs> and so it's kind of a funny joke. But I think the blacklist thing is a hot topic, at least definitely in Western media, right? Yeah. But I think this skit, to me, highlighted kind of the, the thing that is the maybe the better part of it, which is that trying to get, you know, people that borrow money, whether it's on like peer-to-peer platforms or from other ways, giving them some sort of punishment so that there's like at least an incentive to be, to pay back, to stop the punishment. Yeah. Because before there really was not, there's no incentive. The only incentive would be if, some really big guys showed up and started following you around and threatened to hurt yeah. you. Yeah. That literally was it. No, no. <laughs> I mean, seriously, we had, um, uh, you know, you, you would hear a lot of stories about that, you know, 10 years ago or so. Um, I, I don't know about you, but but I've been, you know, I've had times where I've been owed money by um, some some companies in China. And, uh, you know, this, this happened more often, you know, back in like 2008, 2009, 2011 around then but you know it was where you know all the employees of the company uh you know we'd get together and be like okay well we got to get money from this person because we know they have money how do you get money right and then the the somebody usually the person who is like you know who had been in china longer and who was a little like um you know, more seasoned, also maybe more kind of rough around the edges would be like, well, you know, you know, my father-in-law just, he knows some people and he'll just send them to their door and, uh, you know, they'll rough them up a bit. And, uh, um, yeah. Yeah. It's usually guys from inner Mongolia or yeah. Dongbei are the ones that, that do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the other, I guess the other thing that, uh, I guess labor can do is they can like just do stuff to disrupt the business, which is just, bad to do anyway, right? I mean, it's just not much, there's not much they can do. I mean, they can go to the um, Gongshan Ju, I think it's Ju, Gongshan Ju, and... Uh, Anyways. Yeah, Gongshan yeah, and uh, make a formal complaint, and then that goes through a process. But it's, these things sometimes can take years to resolve, and once it's resolved, and they, and the, this is the problem, once it's resolved and they say, okay the company has to pay X. Then the company can just refuse to pay it. And then it's like just an, another ongoing thing. Like, oh, we're, we're preparing, we're getting, we haven't, we're not, you know, we, we're still doing some stuff. There's like a process we're implementing that has to go through, you know. So it's like uh, this, the blacklist also can help in those situations because what happens is the company's uh, legal rep is then put on the blacklist. And then the legal rep, in order to get off the blacklist, and maybe either some other directors or chief executives, uh, in order to get off the blacklist, they have to settle this disagreement. And, and, and from what I understand, the the punishment of, of being on the blacklist means that um, you know you can't stay in luxury hotels, you can't travel by high speed rail. It, it makes life a lot more difficult now. Um, that does mean that, you know, I, I was talking to some friends, you know, one of my friends you know, works for a, a large multinational that does a lot of, um, sets up a lot of, uh, <laughs> anyways, they have a lot of businesses where, Companies? Where, where they need subsidiaries. Well, yeah, subsidiaries where they need investors and, um, like local Chinese investors. And this person said that, 
about 40% of the investors that they have are on a blacklist in one way or another. And, you know, it, it, well, because it, in China you would have, you know, they, they talk about the white, like a, a white glove in that you, um, you will often have a representative who works for you who does a lot of this stuff. So, you know, you, even if you're blacklisted or, you know, you can have, you know, people basically, you know, do everything for you or you have, um, you know, you have other people basically doing things um, in their name instead of your name, but because you have, you know, uh, more power, money, or or, or whatever, um, or some kind of political connections, you can have that. So there are a lot of uh, uh, kind of loopholes into the the the, the blacklist. Yes. But I think that it's one of these things. An- another big one is there's like a whole black market for ID cards, mm. um, and if you're like really down in the dumps in your economic situation, and you're a younger person, you're not. You don't really know much about the implications. You might sell your ID card for like a thousand RMB or whatever. I don't know how much it is, but you sell it and then it gets used by someone else to borrow money on a peer-to-peer platform. Mm. <laughs> and then those people just run away with the money and you're left. So actually on your ID card, you're you're like you're blacklisted, even though you don't even you didn't even do anything or benefit from the fraud that was you know, you didn't actually get the money. So like you're supposed to pay it back, but you know you didn't even get the money that would supposedly create the means for you to pay it back. Yeah. Well, with all with all these policies, there's always you know they say shang shang like was it shang shang you you zhuzi sha you duizi right that the from the top comes the edicts and from the from the the bottom come the the countermeasures. But I I, I do think that um, yeah that it's a long history. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but I, I do think that that ultimately like there's there's a lot of kind of hand wringing about social credit. And I do think that you know that it's the the popular thing among like China watchers now is to be like, oh it's all overblown and it's all you know the you know the 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 foreign media is making such a big deal out of it and it's really not that big of a deal at all. And my uh my kind of take on it is like is that there was like an overreaction to like social credit in China from the West in the first place. And then there's like this kind of like backlash that's like, oh, it's actually nothing at all. And my my take on it is like, well, you know, it's a big change. And whenever there's a big change, there are ways that there could be positive outcomes and there could be negative outcomes. Um, I think what... And the a very famous word is unintended consequences. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. They change the incentive right. system. Um, and so this could be good, it could be bad. Um, it's something definitely to watch. Um, and uh, one thing that I think it's it's has been agreed on is that the they will have this kind of travel ban blacklist. But as far as and and this is more purely financial, and and then we'll see kind of where else they go with it. But anyways, let's get to uh, to the right. The agenda today. So we're going to talk about five different things. Uh, we're going to later on. We're going to you're going to tell tell us about uh, common reporting standards, which sounds like really kind of in the weeds, and it is a little bit in the weeds, but it does impact a lot of people because it has to do with basically how banks report people's um, you know people's incomes and, and the money that people have in bank accounts to other countries, and what it and how it will impact um, you know kind of credit flows in and out of or uh, capital flows in and out of China. We're also going to talk about uh, Tencent's investment in Reddit, which has kind of made a, um, you know, had, there's been uh, much ado about that. We're going to talk about um, 
Pinduoduo, and uh, their raising of more money. Uh, we're going to talk about Xiaomi uh, killing it in India. But first, uh, we did have Spring Festival, so we had Hongbao. Where there is Spring Festival there will, and the Chinese New Year, there will also be the, the red packets. So all, all the big companies, the Baidu's, your Alibaba's, ByteDance, Tencent, they're all, they all do these... Um, James, ex- explain to to the 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 listener who may not be fully aware of all this how this how this all works. Okay, so during the spring gala, uh, everyone kind of sits down in their in their home and as a family together, and they watch TV. And it's like there's skits, there's funny skits, kind of like the one we talked about, and then there's also sponsors like ad sponsors, right? This is like a, it's like the Super Bowl for for China. And so famously back several years ago uh WeChat uh started WeChat Pay and then they did this massive push during the spring gala where people would shake their phones and if you got lucky you would get a hong bao and some you know you get a couple cents here a couple RMB you know and sometimes bigger ones but anyway, that drove a massive adoption of WeChat Pay. And so since then, I think this has become a, a, a new way of people to buy users. Um, and so the two big companies that did this, I mean, ByteDance had three of their, I guess, properties, TikTok, Totiao, and Weishan, together put in 1.6 billion RMB. Uh, and I'm not sure how accurate these numbers are, these might be self-reported, and I'm pretty sure they're not audited. Take with it what you may. And then the, the next highest was uh, Baidu with their Du Xiaoman Financial. They put in a billion or spent a billion RMB on red packets. And then Alipay spent $500 million, the same as last year, uh, but up from $200 million in 2017. And then... Uh, Tencent with their new short, or not new, but their short video app spent 500 million RMB as well. So yeah, it's just, you know, this is buying users. I don't know how well it worked for Baidu because they had, it wasn't quite so simple as just opening, downloading Baidu app and getting your Hongbao. You had to type in your personal information, which means you're like not talking with your family and enjoying the shows. Um, but you're like typing in your ID card and your your stuff and your name and date, date of birth, whatever. And then you also had to link a bank account. Um, so you had to like go get your, if you don't know your bank account number, you had to go find it out and type it in. I mean, it's like a lot more friction. Uh, I think when WeChat or WeChat Pay did it uh, years ago, you just open up WeChat and you have this new functionality and you just start shaking your phone and you could... Get home. It was like zero, zero friction. So Baidu might have messed that up a little bit. <laughs> First of all, I, I do think this is an important thing to watch with Baidu in that they, um, they're they really trying very aggressively to get into the, fi- the fintech space more. They're kind of, they're, they're slow behind, you know, Tencent and Alibaba as Baidu often is. <laughs> yeah, and um, as we could see in their, um, you know, in how their valuation is compared to those these other companies, but um, yeah, you just see like the Tencent and, and WeChat has 
like they did such a good job every step of the way. And when you look back, you know, we had Matt Brennan on to talk about this. He's the, you know, the WeChat expert and um, just the way that they, you know, that they, they use that people nearby as kind of this, like, you know, this kind of dating function that people use to, to get, to attract people in the, in the, the, the early, the early, early running, the way that they use that, that shake feature, to to get people you know using WeChat wallet you know all, all of this stuff they they're they're really quite clever um, in getting people onto the platform getting people to to use the new features on the platform and you know the longer the longer I use WeChat um, you know the more I kind of appreciate you know how consistent they've been in um, in how how they've been you know they've designed their 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 product you know so thoughtfully for the user. So, anyways, um, yeah, but we'll. So it was a total of three point six billion RMB. So that's five hundred thirty-two million US dollars that was was given away from these companies, basically. That's right. So, happy Spring Festival from your tech giants, China. Anyways, uh, we'll move on to uh, Xiaomi. All right, Uh, Xiaomi. Yeah, so yeah, Xiaomi IDC came out with their report on India and Xiaomi's killing it in terms of market share. They have, you know, they went up 2017 market share was 20.9% and 2018 was 28.9%. That compares to Samsung, which 2017, 24.7% down 2.3% to 22.4%. So Xiaomi's growing and Samsung is shrinking. Uh, Xiaomi shipped about 41 million um, products and about half of those were the Redmi 5A and the Redmi 5, Redmi Note 5 Pro. And uh, IDC mentioned that, you know, another contributing factor for Xiaomi was that they had opened a lot of offline stores in rural areas. And that's helping their, uh, penetration and market share growth. Yeah. So India, India is a really interesting, the, the Xiaomi story is becoming the India story. If you're, if you're bullish on Xiaomi and, um, and this has been the case for, for a while for the people who are the Xiaomi bulls. Um, but India's overall mobile phone shipments grew 11%. Um, this is where the mobile internet is growing. Um, and this is where India is having some strong economic growth too, in comparison with China. That's you know we all know about about China's problems right now. Um, but Xiaomi is not doing that great when it comes to market share in China. I believe that they're they're losing market share as a percentage because Huawei is, is taking up a lot of it. Um, and Apple's you know Apple's troubles have been well documented as well. Um, but yeah, but they've, they're, they're number one again in, in India. Um, I think Samsung is starting to react to that and they're trying to, um, you know, kind of more aggressively go into India, uh, particularly with the lower end. But the question that I still have with all of this good, these good numbers about Xiaomi in India is, um, you know, where are the margins? Uh, you know, are they just buying users by having cheap phones? Um, and those users are the ones that are not going to buy internet services, um, and there's, you know, there's not a whole lot of, you know, profits we made off the really cheap phones. So I think we'll have to wait and see. And we'll see how, one thing we do know is that India is a growing market, that Xiaomi is popular in India, and they're, uh, they have a, a fan base and a strong brand. 
And I think that that's something that they can really build off of. Yeah. And if, I mean, if they can, you know, if they have more users in their, I mean, the bulls would say, right, that they have, they have more users in their ecosystem using their products, uh, that they might not, it might create a higher switching cost to move out of their ecosystem. And so maybe they'll be able to, you know, sell them upgrades or value add later on. But yeah, I mean, India is the, it is the big growth market for smartphones. Uh, probably after India is going to be Africa. But, you know, India is still a massive growth market for cell phones. I think smartphone penetration is still pretty low. So, uh, yeah, Samsung, you know, we've talked about this before. They've they've set up uh, an initiative to go directly after India in competition with Xiaomi. And we can see with these IDC numbers that, you know, during 2018, uh, Samsung's market share just declined. It peaked Q1 around 25% and ended the year below 20%. So that's yeah. more to do. I, I, went on, I, was, I went on Al Jazeera to talk about this um, last week with Samsung's earnings. But Samsung, they've had, I, I can't cite, I don't have them off the numbers off, off the top of my head, but they do not, they're, they're seeing their, number, their growth slow notably. And they blamed the rise of Chinese uh, smartphone makers. And I mean, I use a Samsung and I, my past few phones have been Samsungs. Um, I I like Samsung, but um, because the hardware that they've had has always been, you know, I've always used an Android phone, and their hardware is on par with an iPhone, and it's usually a little bit cheaper than an iPhone. But um, if you look at you know, the the Chinese phone makers, they're getting, you know, they're hitting, you know, a very similar standard of quality as the Samsungs. Um, and they're still usually pretty cheap. They're cheaper than, than the Samsungs. Um, so Samsung is in a place where there's not, they don't have the cachet that Apple has, and they don't have the sticky ecosystem, and they don't have, you know, they, 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 they're not beating people on price either. So, you know, so, so, so where do they go? And uh, so um, I'd, you know, we're, we're, we've talked about how we have concerns about about Xiaomi, but you know, I I wouldn't be too bullish on Samsung right now either um, when it comes to their smartphones. Um, but at least Samsung has a very diversified business, so I think that there's other areas where they can be strong, and they do spend a lot on uh, research research and development. Actually, um, uh, thirdly, uh, Pinduoduo. So Pinduoduo announced that they would be uh, basically they'd be raising a, another billion dollars to fuel continued growth. So is it is a billion, but it could be one point two billion, right? What what's what's the specifics on that? Yeah, I think they were they were expecting. I think they came in a little bit below what they were expecting. So anyway, they sold. They were offering a total of fifty five million shares, and that was forty point one eight million of Pinduoduo's new shares that they're selling, and then uh, the. They had selling shareholders as well that were selling about 14.8. So the total, you know, the selling price was $25. We saw Pinduoduo's stock go down um, from, I guess, a couple weeks ago, kind of peaked around above 30 and went down and got near 25. And it's kind of gone back up since then, but the share price was $25. They raised a billion dollars and... 
if the underwriter, so the underwriter has 8.25 million options in the underwriter's China Renaissance, if they exercise all those options, which they probably will if this share price keeps going up, uh, Pinduoduo will get another 200 million for 206 million for a total of 1.21 billion dollars. Now this is this is dollars. The selling shareholders were Banyan Partners Fund, Sun Vantage, Lightspeed, and FPCI Sino French Innovation Fund. And their proceeds, so they sold, I mean, all together, their proceeds were $370 million, uh, which is, you know, venture investments. That's that's a great return. Uh, very, very nice. But yeah, so Pinduoduo, like why, you know, I think a question before, you know, we got on the call here, you asked, uh, was like, why are they doing this? And, you know, their cash and cash equivalents on their balance sheet as of September 30th, so this is not the newest, uh, was about $2.18 billion, but they had restricted cash, and this is separate from that that number, restricted cash of 1.48. And I kind of think they're, you know, I've talked about their working capital, uh, what I think are working capital issues. Hopefully we'll find out more in their next earnings call. Um, but, you know, if if those are, if, what I was talking about, those working capital issues with the payment payables to merchants and merchant deposits, uh, if those are actually not usable by the company in terms of working capital, they're not going to have that nice kind of trade working capital financing that uh, companies like Amazon had when um, when they were growing and, and uh, you know, basically negative earnings, but had positive operating cash flow. Um, so I do, I think this is a key a key thing for Pinduoduo. Yeah, so Pinduoduo, they, they were founded in 2015 and they IPO'd in 2018. So they, they went to IPO quite quickly um, and they scaled quite quickly. Um, but it, it seems to me that they, they have this kind of business model where if they, they still need to grow really aggressively, because there are a lot of ways where you know they don't have a lot of barriers to entry um, for their competitors. Uh, if they could, you know, very easily have their lunch eaten, you know, with a couple of wrong moves. So you know they're at the stage where they need to be you know moving very very aggressively. Also because they're in an area where there still is a lot of growth to be had, and where there still is. You know, we've talked about this before. There's a lot of. Uh, you know, digitization still going on um, with their 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 users because they they go down market, right? A lot of their users are are people who right. know, are still getting online and still you know starting to get into e commerce for the first time. Um, not kind of your your urban young um, you know more established uh, e commerce users, like for example the those that JD has. Um, but yeah, that that'll be an interesting one to keep watching. So I I mean I I, I do wonder like how sticky. Pinduoduo's kind of, you know, I guess what they bring to this is the group buying and then going straight to the merchants, right? Yeah, I mean, JD has been experimenting with group buying. I think Taobao has as well and maybe Tmall as well. And it's, I mean, I've just kind of flipped through the apps and seen it. I haven't tried it. But you get a little bit of a discount by getting into the group buy and there's a countdown 
you know, it's like, a, oh, you have two hours or 20 minutes left. You better buy this thing quick, <laughs> which is, you know, it's um, those penny auctions, you know, those penny auctions in, in the yeah, U.S., yeah. they use the same thing. And it's it's very kind of gimmicky way of, you know, pushing you to, to do stuff. But this is the kind of stuff that makes that makes me like that that makes me more skeptical about Pinduoduo because it's all these little gimmicky stuff to get attention, right? So right. so if you compare that with, for example, you know, like JD, like what is JD's barrier to entry? Well, they have they have invested for a very long time in building up um, a very strong logistics infrastructure. Um, and that's right, but they they also have JD also has like a, an idea like like people want to buy things on JD because there's less fakes. Mm. Taobao has a lot, still has a lot of fakes, uh, and your quality you know tends to be better. It's kind of like so JD also has this kind of quality aspect to it. Yeah, like maybe you pay a little more than Taobao, but you're probably getting the real thing. Yeah, so so but the, these are things you know a brand like that. You know, a reputable brand, the, the the logistics system. You know, these are things that are very hard to to build right away. Um, you know, like Alibaba obviously has their whole. You know, they have the financial infrastructure. They have you know, they have their whole ecosystem. Um, you know, Pinduoduo they're embedded on the the WeChat platform, um, but they don't have these. They don't have these barriers to entry, um, and it's it's still. They still have the possibility of being like a flash in the pan. I think uh, that's, that's always like my fear when it comes to them. Um, is that that someone else can come in there and just boom take it? Um, so, anyways, so the the more they you know if they can grow and they can invest more, you know that that makes it harder for other companies to get in there and uh, and eat their lunch. Um, but anyway, so I should say full disclosure. Last I guess it was a couple weeks ago after we recorded, I did uh, sell. Pinduoduo. I did too. I, I sold it short. <laughs> <laughs> you were long. I I wasn't long, but um, yeah, I did sell it. And I haven't covered the short yet, although I am thinking about it because it is it is a it, it's one of those. It's got so many big names behind it. It's kind of a scary company to short. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah, just full disclosure. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, let's move on to, you know, the, the big topic this week was, uh, 10 cents investment in Reddit. So, uh, Reddit is the, that the online discussion platform. I'm, I'm sure many people have, you know, they're, they're Reddit users, but 10 cent, uh, they invested 150 million US dollars in, um, they led the series D funding round of Reddit that puts them at a post money valuation of $3 billion. Um, so the, the big reaction from Reddit users. So that's, that's a 5% stake. Yeah. 10 cent has now. Right. Yeah. Um, it's so the big reaction from, from Reddit users was obviously like Reddit is known as this kind of like a uh, snarky free speech bastion where there's um, you know, a lot of this kind of, there's a lot of memes, a lot of jokes, a lot of, uh, but also a lot of like, uh, kind of. It's a, it's, it's definitely skews kind of uh, libertarian and kind of like the old original um, 
uh, kind of spirit of the 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 early internet. So you had obviously like uh, you know Tencent and, and being you know behind WeChat and also the, the censorship issues. You had a lot of these uh, the, these posts kind of reacting to that funding round. You know, posting memes of Winnie the Pooh or you know uh, tanks the Tank Man in Tiananmen Square and um, you know kind of uh, you know joking about how that kind of stuff would be would be blocked um, by Tencent. Um, now. Uh, some people were more serious about this than others. Um, I think mostly it was kind of in jest. Um, but uh, James, what, what do you think about that? Uh, the memes that came up? Yeah, and the whole idea that, you know, about Tencent's involvement in a platform like Reddit. I mean, I think, I, I personally think internet, like, and some of Reddit's humor can be really funny and, like, internet nerdy humor, I, I find at least entertaining. Sometimes it's pretty funny stuff just because it can be like so off yeah. <laughs> color, you know, in a way. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like you just can't say these, some of these things or do some of these things. Um, cause Reddit's anonymous, right? Like, and there's no name behind it. So, uh, you know, you get kind of a lot more, you know, like comedians, they give their life to comedy and they can kind of do and say whatever they want. But if you're, a uh, politician, you can't do that. If you're uh, a lawyer, you know, like you just can't do that kind of stuff. So I do, I do kind of appreciate that. But I've been using Reddit for a long time, and like many years ago, I found out that if you create an account and you unsubscribe from all the main subreddits that they have you subscribe to automatically, uh, you're and then you just pick and choose subreddits carefully kind of like you would pick and choose Twitter handles to follow. Uh, you can actually have a nice experience on Reddit. It's not always all memes all the time. Um, but actually one of the, one of I, I think the more active kind of interesting communities on Reddit is the gamer communities. And in the gamer communities, uh, you actually have some of the game makers, like the actual creators interact with the users of the games and they'll discuss, you know, ideas they have and give feedback. They'll find bugs and like point them out to the, to the game creators. And so this is, I personally think Tencent probably was drawn to WeChat because of that. Or yeah, (laughs) right. I said WeChat. Wow. They're totally different. (laughs) No, drawn to, drawn to Reddit because of that. Um, and it's just you know it's a it's a communication platform um, you know where there's there is interesting ideas on Reddit uh, you know you have to dig for them but they are there and you get kind of I mean I've found interesting investment ideas on Reddit I found people post stuff about companies they work at and they're not so positive stuff because it's anonymous um, and you can. Kind of like you know Glassdoor reviews about companies, but you can get you can get pretty interesting things. They're hard to find though. You usually don't name the company. Yeah. You have to kind of figure it out. But they give you uh, yeah, so, subreddits are super great. Like I, I'll follow like the China subreddit, and there's like just a lot of good stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that uh, it represents kind of something we don't see as much in the internet anymore. Like when, when I'm on Reddit, it makes me feel like I did 
when I was using the internet when I was like a teenager, you know, which is almost 20 years ago. Um, and that's, yeah, <laughs> 15 <laughs> at least. Um, and uh, I think it was really, you know, like, you know, you have, first of all, it's kind of a lawless, anonymous, uh, you know, uh, environment. You have, uh, you know, it's complete free speech. Anyone can say anything, um, which means that, you know, in some ways it's really, the, the information can be really great and it's like, you know, it's, it's it has this kind of free feeling to it, but also it's like, you know, it's it's the kind of people behave, you know, like they do, like they would in an anonymous situation where you have a lot of people that'll be like, you know, they'll harass people or they'll say very offensive things or they'll, um, you know, make make the environment a hostile place for some kinds of people. Um, so it has this very much this feel of like that earlier internet age. It's also very democratic, right? People upvote, people downvote stuff. So you don't have this kind of, um, uh, you know, you don't have some like algorithm that's deciding everything or this recommendation engine. You don't have like kind of advertising or, or corporate dollars that are, you know, deciding, you know, who sees what as much. Um, and I think that's very refreshing, but, uh, but also it's like, um, the, the big thing here, you know, I, I wrote this for, um, I wrote a piece for Technode just today, actually hasn't gone out yet, but, um, about this idea of like, okay, well, you know, the Reddit users are worried that, you know, Tencent's gonna, you know, censor it like they censor WeChat or whatever. And, um, and it's gonna kill Reddit. And my point is that, that I think that's a silly, thing because there will be I think it would be foolish of Tencent to do that but I I do think that there is probably that Tencent might cause some changes to Reddit because uh, they're an investor and Reddit is as a business uh, not that you know they, they are what's good and bad about them is one they're they are very kind of user centric and they're not trying to monetize their platform. So if you compare Reddit, for example, their um, basically their revenue per user, um, they have 330 million uh, monthly active users, and they brought in about 100 million U.S. dollars in revenue last year, I believe. Um, so that means what it's like 30 cents uh-huh. per per user. Um, if you compare that with Twitter, Twitter's about $9 per user and Facebook's about $7 per user. So these other platforms, they're much, they've monetized much better. Um, and if you're Tencent and you see that, that, that Reddit has all these users, you're seeing, okay, this is a, you know, this is an untapped gold mine, right? Let's, uh, let's get in here a little bit. Let's crank up their monetization, maybe get it up to a few, a couple bucks. Uh, per user, and uh, you know we're gonna we'll make a pretty penny off that. And then with the IPO, because this is Series D, so the next they would be, have an IPO coming up. Uh, one would think at some point in the future, um, you know, then this is an opportunity for for Tencent to cash in. Well, if they get that ARPU up, they could definitely do an IPO. But at thirty cents per user, <laughs> well, but but that's tough. what we're saying, right? Yeah. Is that that Tencent's going to want yeah. an IPO? And because they're they're not they're not investing just to be nice guys, <laughs> you know. So the I think so we could see 
you know, a obviously when you try to monetize a platform, you know, that impacts the user experience. And, you know, the kind of user experience that people go to Reddit for um, is is not one that um, they're going to care more than other users of other platforms about how the platform is monetized. That's for sure. So, yeah. so I just thought of something. Um, I mean, one of the things I, I kind of, you know, Reddit, I don't know if it's still owned, but it was owned by mm. Condi Nast. Uh, the, you know, for me, Reddit and like kind of the a lot of my interaction with it, and there's a lot of content creation happening on Reddit. There's a lot of, I mean, I said a video game thing already. There's a lot of ideas, even like fan art gets shared there, and like they draw ideas for new characters for games and stuff. I mean, these people go get really mm. into this stuff. And these are your your users who really like your game so much that they're like into it. But there's all it's not just games, it's like everything. There's like communities for football and basketball and like exercise and healthy eating and uh you know there's long form article stuff. But you know, like the the bad, you know, each subreddit has moderators. Right, and the moderators set the rules and the tone, and if people are being rude and obnoxious and hateful, I mean, some moderators can can tolerate that. I think one one there was one subreddit called Wall Street Bets, uh, which is hilarious, um, and they they love like Martin Shkreli and stuff. Uh, oh, the pharma the fa- bro. You know, they're just they're Martin Shkreli. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but they're you know they're, they're it's really funny, but it you know when you when you see it and you like I look at it like tongue in cheek mm-hmm. kind of thing, um, like kind of sarcastic but humorous, um, and you know a lot of people take it seriously and it definitely appears yeah distasteful in that sense. But there's other like another one I, I kind of like is uh, security analysis, which is like a value investing subreddit and they tend to do a good job of keeping out like the junk and uh you know making sure because you know some it's like anything on social media things tend to get promotional where like users on social media i mean facebook's definitely gone promotional instagram has gone promotional twitter's pretty close you know you have like influencers and everyone's kind of promoting Mm -hmm. something if you're not promoting something, it's like, you know, it's like, what's the value? And Reddit's kind of cool because it, it hasn't really yeah. hit that yet. And because it's so, you know, curated and you can kind of come and go here, uh, and it's because it's anonymous, um, you know, there's not, you get less kind of like KOL influence. So I don't know. I think it's, well, I think it's pretty neat. Yeah. I mean, that there's a reason why. I mean, I, I like it. Um, but it, it's it it has a sense of purity to it, I think, or of like almost nostalgia or like it's like, oh, this is how like I feel like this is how the web used to be like i this is I mean it sounds super lame here when I was in high school, I used to really be into the band Weezer, right, so I would go I, yeah, like a lot of people <laughs> on the weezer on the weezer 
website, they had Weezer message boards, right? And there were like thousands of people on the Weezer message boards. And like you get on the Weezer message boards and you like chat with everybody else on the Weezer message boards. And then, but what, what, what it was is like you actually have the, 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 the message board that was about Weezer. But then what everyone ended up started using was one called ATNW, which is all things not Weezer, right? So it was, it was basically just a, uh, it was like the Weezer fan community. So it's like a type of kid, right? Usually, like, so you have something you have something in common. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. But you're all posting about you know just stupid shit. Um, yeah, which was like it was just super fun. Um, and that like and Reddit definitely has that kind of vibe to it. Like it's like you know it's it's that or like it's like back in the day, you ever get on Zanga? You ever use a Zanga? X A N G A. It might have just been like a Midwestern thing. I'm from Michigan. Oh yeah, yeah. All right. But it's yeah. the same kind of thing where it's like this, this like, you know, it's like this bare bones, like, you know, blog community where it's like a bunch of, you know, you don't know who's, like, there's a lot of trolls. There's a lot of like, but it's all these inside jokes that like, you have to be on the platform for a long time to understand. Right. But then also like, like a lot of times it's like the, the, the glacier, like Reddit is kind of like the glacier at the top of the mountain that starts the river. Of the internet, in some ways, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's definitely a meme. It's it's got a serious position in the meme factory of the internet. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, or at least it, it had a stronger position. Now there's like me- generating memes on other websites that saw like Reddit kind of created that like text on a picture. Yeah, or was it 4chan that created? I don't know, but Reddit definitely made it a little more popular. Even if 4chan did create it. Uh, yeah, text on a photo, and you can change the text, and you share it, and it's funny because it like captures a feeling or some sort of idea that everyone kind of can can relate to, um, and then and then it makes its way to like Facebook or uh, you know email chains or whatever, and then it blows up and becomes viral. But you know, a lot of these things started as like comments on Reddit, and then like became. You know, moved moved up, yes. yeah. Yeah, so I, we'll see. Uh, like, to be honest, like I I don't trust Tencent with Reddit, like, or I don't trust Reddit in Tencent's hands. But not like. Well, I mean, they're they're hardly in their hand. I mean, five percent stake. Maybe they can get a board seat. Uh, you know, I mean, it's still going to be. And Reddit is a hive mind. Like, if you're kick, if you if you try to mess with Reddit. You're kicking a hornet's <laughs> nest. I mean, you remember Ellen uh, Powell, Ellen, uh, the, the lady who was like CEO, who did some stuff, and people at Reddit got like upset with her. I don't remember. And this. they like they went after her. I mean, it was like a the hive mind. She kicked the hornet's nest, and it was pretty crazy. Um, and she like got. I mean, she went through a lot of stuff. I think she had like racial. Sort of discrimination, and I'm sure it's it's all things. the awful thing. Um, Same thing with 4chan. Like these, like this is not a pleasant place. These, these, are, these yeah, platforms an, are not pleasant anonymous, places to be. All the anonymous time. places, like anonymous anonymous places, and anonymous interactions can create interesting things where because people aren't afraid to say something, right? And so there's all these ideas that we're not allowed to think. Because we're not really allowed to say them, 
And by not saying them, we can't really think them, right? Mm. Uh, but it also, anonym, anonymous places bring bad things that are yeah. not allowed anywhere, right? So you get, you know, Reddit famously had a huge problem with, not I don't know how huge it was, but it was a problem regardless uh, with child pornography. Mm. That was just horrible. Like scarring, like messed up stuff. Uh, but they, I think they solved it. But that's part of the, you know, I mean, the Tor networks, you know, like these off dark web stuff. It's all, it, there's a lot of bad stuff that happens there. But there's probably also some interesting conversations that lead to really cool ideas that might be, you know, the next big tech thing. Exactly. So, yeah. You know, it's not it's, always. It's that kind of creative destruction. You know, it's the, um, you know, it's the. I mean, it's, it's the same reason why, like, like every every like great new genre of music usually, you know, comes out of a, you know, a a a, a you know a, a dispossessed community or a, you know a, a right. you know art comes out of you know very you know uh, how would I say this like not always the most like pleasant backgrounds right so it's it's the same thing with um you know a lot of entrepreneurship as well and uh you know it's uh so these but these places so they, they definitely have this value but it's also like i don't know i i i, I don't i wouldn't want to see like i don't, i also don't go to reddit all the time cuz i don't like all that kind of like i don't like having it's distressing like i don't want to hear i don't want to see what some people post like cuz that's like sometimes it's like i don't want i don't want that in my my mind right now, you know. So, but I, I do. Yeah, I you got to curate those subreddits. If it doesn't if it's not create or if it gets like, you know, sterilized. I wouldn't be happy. Anyways, okay. So CRS. So this is the last the our last thing here today. Um, so we're going to talk about uh, reporting standards around the world and how countries collaborate or cooperate with each other to report bank account standards and assets and taxes. Right. And uh, that this sounds like it, it's like a really dry thing, but actually, especially for people like you and me who live abroad, um, this does matter. And also um, it matters when we talk about China because you know, China's one of China's greatest kind of uh, problems as an economy or is it's very tight capital inflows and outflows and um right and it's it makes it very very often very hard to do business there so uh, tell us about about just 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 go james okay so uh crs stands for common reporting standards uh and this basically it's an automatic exchange of information about bank accounts on a global level between tax authorities um, and it is started by the OECD. And it's not just OECD countries. There's, I think, a total of 97 countries. This is based off Wikipedia's information. Um, but it, the whole idea is based off of the U.S.'s FATCA, um, which is Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act. That sounds really dry. And, and, and actually, common reporting standards sounds really boring and benign and totally like, why is this a big deal? Okay, so it's, yeah, right, <laughs> snoozing off. So um, basically what it means is that, you know, if you're a tax resident or a citizen that is has to pay global taxes like U.S. and China, 
um, you, if you have a bank account in a foreign country, that if that country is in CRS, they have to report automatically the information about that bank account, which I think includes uh, bank account like balances, uh, transaction history. Um, anyway, to your home country, to your your tax resident country, or your citizenship country, if you're taxed globally. Um, so. Why does this matter and why do I think this is interesting for China? I have this very, and maybe this is just silly optimism, (laughs) but I hope, I have this hope that, um, you know, China's capital, the limitations that they put on their capital, uh, I hope that some of them are based on trying to stop tax evasion. Mm -hmm. Uh, And obviously some of them are based on trying to stop hot money flows. But if they are, I think that CRS could bring some confidence to China's um, tax authorities. And it could, maybe, this is the hope, it could lower or allow them to loosen their capital controls. Okay. And so, like in doing this research a little bit, I mean, one thing that's really interesting about communist countries, at least from the Soviet, the former Soviet Union model, was that they didn't have tax bureaus. They didn't have tax authorities because no one owns anything, no one has an income, and there is no profit to be taxed, right? So you don't need a tax authority. And so when the CCP took over uh, in 1949, um, in 1950, they actually set up their first big tax overhaul. But it was it it's had this wild um, kind of just messy run like it until 1978 when basically i mean the, the actual state uh administration of taxation wasn't set up for another 9 years 1958 and that was the second major overhaul of the tax system and then the next the third was in 1973 and then between and during the cultural revolution there was a, a lot of kind of pushback from the leftists that um, the tax system was what they called a complicated philosophy, which is, okay, why are you, why am I paying an urban realty tax, uh, which is like a kind of a property tax to use this property that I don't own that's just been given to me uh, and I have to return my labor to the, to the state, right? Like what is, what is the point of that? Um, they also had, so they had, in 1973, they had different taxes. They had a, a tax that SOEs paid, which was kind of a commercial industrial tax. They had, and I didn't even know this, but they had collective entities, and they had to pay that uh, commercial and industrial tax as well as a commercial industri- commercial industrial income tax. They also had foreign entities, which I guess were Soviet Union entities and they were paying a consolidated industrial commercial tax. But anyway, all of these taxes ended up getting basically wound down and super simplified uh, by 1978. The tax organizations themselves were split into smaller organizations. Employees were rationalized (laughs) um, or or left. Uh, and actually, the tax system ended up having a very, very small impact on China's economy. Um, but with the opening and allowing people to 
operate businesses themselves and start businesses and do, you know, have capital to move around and borrow money from banks and all this. Um, they needed to create a tax system. And, you know, if you have, if you have a weak tax system and you allow international capital movement, one big fear is that when you open up and you allow people to start making, creating wealth and capital for themselves, uh, there's the fear that it will leave before it gets taxed or just leave in general. So I think, you know, they put these capital controls on, they'd stop the free movement of, of the production of late of your creativity. And then they, uh, they don't have to worry too hard about enforcement of taxes. They can kind of take their time and put the system in place. Um, They've definitely taken their time. I mean, as we, you know, uh, we talked about before, before this, before recording, uh, you know, a lot of companies in China um, have been getting in trouble for not paying taxes, Uh, you know, and so I think CRS has the potential to kind of increase the level of confidence that the tax bureaus have and potentially, hopefully, I, this, you know, me trying to be optimistic here, yeah. <laughs> it, it leads to, you know, loosening of capital and, controls. And it, it has, because it has the potential to put, yeah, like the, the quote unquote, like free market into the system, basically. And, and, and that's all, always been an issue in China, you know, for as long as I've been there and as long as you've been there and as long as I can remember is that, you know, you you hinted at that, and that this kind of a theme in what you were talking about with the tax system, the the evolution of the tax system in China, is that um, in their kind of the Leninist Marxist system, you know, the the whole the free market is something that doesn't really fit in there perfect, like neatly, right? So uh, so a lot right. of that growth happened, like, well, you get we got to try to kind of find a way to like you know jigger it in there, or we have what what's in the system, and then we have all that money that's going around outside the system. So it's, uh, I remember, you know, when the, when the Bo Lai thing happened, um, and when he was taken down, I don't remember what was it, the New York Times that did a report on basically his wealth and his, um, and that he was, he was making a salary of about 20,000 RMB a month and his family had a wealth of about three, yeah, that's $300 million was there. U.S. dollars was their 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 net worth, their estimated net worth, right? Where does that money come from? Well, it comes from you know because uh, outside the system, money, it, you know the the market the market right. doesn't stop working, and that's you know outside the system or does, right. you know uh, just because they have they set up rules in the system. So so and and this was the case with so much. I mean. Like this was just how China worked for so long. It still is how it works in a lot of ways. Like you have all the stories about, about people going and you know buying a house in cash, um, you know, or or you hear these stories of these corrupt officials that have entire rooms in their houses filled with you know with cash, right? So you know it's it you this is a this is kind of a theme um, in kind of what what she is trying to do, Xi Jinping. I think a lot of this, you know, the, the intentions are often good. The, 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 the bigger questions are about how it actually happens, but, um, is trying to get everything within the system, right? So that, 
um, because when it's when it's not within the system, I mean, it just leads to corruption and lawlessness. You know, I mean, if it's if it's applied evenly, right? That's that's that would be good. You know, because it is. I mean, corruption is a tax on the system, and it's one in which the government does not benefit, and that it doesn't create. I mean, taxes are, you know, supposed to be beneficial to some part of society and people they're supposed to be paid back in infrastructure and things and uh you know benefits and and obviously keeping the system going police for all, all this stuff but attacks in the form of corruption uh does not create that cycle it doesn't go back in and that's why you see piles of cash people i mean they're not they can't declare this income right they can't declare it so because it's illegal. And so it just sits there. And then you have people going around and trying to, there's a whole, obviously, uh, you know, economies that aren't market economies, a black market's mm-hmm. created always. And there's, whenever there's a problem to be solved, the market, a black market will form to solve it if a regular non black market can't be created. So, I'm sure. I bet there were black. There's black markets to clean cash and all this stuff. So uh, hopefully CRS will. You know, I mean, it's. I mean, some people are probably like, oh no, but you know, it's bad. You just hate the government or whatever. But it's like, you know, I mean, everyday people. This could be a a positive impact if it allows the government to loosen capital controls. Yes. And then people who are like, oh, I, I do want to travel abroad and spend more than whatever the limit is now, $10,000 or whatever it is. Um, you know, I mean, it's so in some ways, like having more control could put, I mean, the idea is that having more control leads to greater confidence, leads to more freedom in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. Well, and right. I, I do think that, I mean, there's, there's some fundamental contradictions here in that, like, so the, so much of what, I remember when I first came to China, I was talking with a buddy of mine and he was like, he was, he's this kind of, you know, he's, he's the kind of person that you often meet in China, especially at that time, right? These people that kind of, you know, they, they, unconventional types. This is this American guy. And he's like, oh, China's more free than America, right? I can do whatever the hell I want here. And that was true. So, yeah, well, it sounds like a well, bad the, the idea. question. I mean, he did, and he doesn't live there anymore. But and a lot of people were like that, right? So the 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 thinking here is, yeah, China was more. There were areas where China was more free, but that was just because what they did is they just had they had their authoritarian kind of like not very well functioning bureaucratic system, and then they had just areas where just like okay, that's a free for all over there, right? But what and what that does is it does create this 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 yeah. anarchy that's freedom for some that's you know tyranny for others that you know allows you know the black market to to thrive that um it, it's you know ultimately what you need is you need to create institutions and systems so that you know uh justice can be created or can be you know enforced and you know taxes can be collected you know the stability can be maintained um but also China doesn't do legal doesn't hasn't really done legal reforms or rule of law reforms or political system reforms so uh what they're trying to do instead is these administrative reforms which we'll see if they work but um anyways this is a whole other 
conversation <laughs> to have later. Anyways, anything yeah. else that we should say about CRS? It, it is very interesting. I thought it was it was going to be really boring, but I find it to be actually quite quite interesting. Uh, no, that, I think that's all. I mean, the other the other thing that I thought was interesting when I did was researching this. So you know how there's a a, a state monopoly on salt. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that, but I don't know all the details about it. Right. Okay, so basically salt in China is run by China Salt, which is an SOE. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, state monopolies have a really long history in China, okay? Like, so in the Qin Dynasty, right? Like 200 BC or something, I don't know, whatever it was, they had a state-controlled monopoly on salt. Okay. And it's been on and off. I think there were only like a couple dynasties that didn't have a, a state monopoly on salt. Uh, another really big one was coinage, obviously coinage, creating of money and then paper money. Um, but another really big one was iron. There was like state monopolies on iron production, and I yeah, I just found that kind of interesting that that these uh, that even in dynastic. Old ancient China, there were these state-owned sort of monopolies on resources, which is fascinating, right? Because that's like, I mean, this is this isn't an argument anyone's ever said about China having SOEs, mm. but it, it it's, I mean, clearly the governments had these controls because they were profitable. Salt is. Obviously, was I mean, wars were fought over over salt a mm-hmm. uh, long time ago. You know, so these are, you know, it's a form of uh, basically cre- like a tax. You know, like you can you control it, you can set the price, and you get all the profits, and you can run your empire. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I thought it was interesting. Not much has changed since the Qin Dynasty. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I do think that this is like that it is. I mean, obviously, it's what makes China so complicated. And why you have this whole idea of like socialism with Chinese characteristics, and why, like, you know, why, uh, why they're like the only major country in the world that still has like a Leninist system is that you know communism itself. Well, first of all, communism hasn't been a thing in China really since Mao. They they're still obviously Marxist theory is kind of making a comeback and things like that, but. Like what what has always been a Chinese thing is like a strong authoritarian state, um, and you know a a a uh, a bureaucracy, a heavy bureaucracy, exactly hierarchy, yeah, bureaucracy, yeah. And hierarchy, hierarchy, exactly. authoritarian, sort of strong, yeah, definitely, exactly. So the, <laughs> the state-owned system of of a Leninist state, I think it does have some some harmonies there. Um, for for all of the um, all the issues, you know, all the issues aside, you know, but um, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, anyways, uh, that's just about does it for us today. Uh, so our listeners can, if they like the podcast, give us five stars, uh, give us a, a review, hopefully a positive one, or uh, uh, come at us on Twitter at uh, at Elliot Zagman, E L L I O T T Z A A G M A N. Or at James Hall, J A M James Hall X, J A M E S H U L L X. Um, also, another thing I, I do want to ask you guys, our listeners, is we need to add. We want to add a watch a company to our watch list. Uh, yes. We've been chatting about it. James and I have been going back and forth, 
and like we don't really know what to add. We've been thinking about Meituan, but like we have we have plenty of of e-commerce companies. We want to get something. We've been talking about doing something that's more like hardware related, um, or just an area that that maybe um, that we're not covering so far with the watch list. So uh, if anyone has any ideas, give us a you know give us a shout out on um, on, on on Twitter and, and let us know. Um, yeah. Also, you know, tech can go very broad. You know, I think. A lot of businesses use tech in in order to like create their product or create their service and deliver that service. Um, so I, you know, I think we can open it up pretty broad. I mean, and any ideas you have, any any listener has, uh, you know, shoot them our way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Anything else uh, you're looking forward to this coming week? Uh, so Baidu earnings. February 21st, after market close. Looking forward to that. That should be interesting. We'll see uh, see how they did in Q4 of last year. Yeah, I'm going to be looking at, at the at Baidu's earnings. Also, I think this is this whole week is kind of, there's a lot more earnings going on just uh, outside of China as well. So we're hopefully, um, we're, uh, we're going to get a picture over this last quarter of, you know, a clear picture of what what to expect when it comes to the economy in China. We I've been looking at this so far. We're seeing a lot more of the big ticket items that are really slowing down. But for example, like Procter and Gamble, Procter and Gamble is still doing great in China. So we're seeing that these um, more like everyday items are are doing really well. Um, but the big ticket consumer staples, exactly. The, which is why Pinduoduo. Hey, um, <laughs> that's uh, that's their big uh, toilet paper. Forte. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, I'm going to keep looking at, at, at more of that going forward. But anyways, um, thanks to, uh, to John and Peter, uh, our producers and, uh, we'll, uh, do anything else? Well, hold yeah. up, hold up. What else do you guys say? We are powered by Technode and yeah. you can support us by signing up for Technode's newsletters at technode.com forward slash newsletters. All the, there's a lot of options there. They're all good. I saw, I'm subscribed to all of them. Um, check them out. Your daily dose of support China us tech. by supporting. James, thanks for reminding, reminding me. I was like, is he going to do we it? Is that. he going to do it? That. John Artman would murder us. Murder. He's a very scary, not murder. Very scary he would guy. Give us a, a very slapping. scary guy. He's terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. You do not want to get him <laughs> yes. mad. Anyways. All right. So anyways, uh, we'll catch you all next time on the, uh, the China Tech Investor Podcast. Aloha, everybody. Aloha. Aloha.